Well, hey, welcome back to the Tree Church Bible Study. If you don't know who I am, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at the Tree. And today we're going to jump into Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. We're continuing in our series about Romans. But before we do, as you take some time to turn there on your Bibles or on your iPhone, uh, let's start with prayer. God, I pray right now that you would already begin to soften our hearts for this truth. God, that you would open our ears and open our minds for what you would have for us today. I pray that you would convict us of what you need to convict us of. God, let this truth weigh heavy, that it wouldn't be something we just hear and think, no, that would be great, but then continue in our own brokenness. God, I pray that we would hear it and apply it so that we could ultimately glorify your name. God, we are so grateful for this. We're so grateful for the, for the fact that we even get the privilege to read and to grow and to learn from your word. God, you could have left us in the dark, but you were generous. And you gave us your words, you gave us the Bible to be an outline, to be a source of truth that we can learn how to live our lives to best glorify your name. And we're so grateful for that today. In your name we pray, amen. So I'm going to jump into Romans 15, I'm going to read 1 through 7, it's kind of long, so I want to get the whole picture of it, and then we're going to go back and read line by line, breaking down what everything means. So starting with verse 1, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ Jesus didn't live to please himself, as the scriptures say. The insults of those who insult you, O oh God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Verse 5, may God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other, as it is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. So like I said, it's kind of long, and Paul jumps around a little bit with a couple different ways, really, that are all basically how to live your best life in submission to God, but in a couple different ways to do that. So we're going to go line by line. So let's go back to verse 1. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. So to understand what Paul's talking about, you have to go back a chapter to verse 14 where he'd introduce this tension that we're not to make our brother or sister in Christ stumble. A lot of times we can look at something and just say, well, hey, this is okay. This isn't bad for me, so I'm going to do it. And, and there should be no consequences. I shouldn't have to be worried or consider about what other people are thinking. If this is good and this is right for me, then I'm going to act accordingly. But what Paul would say is he'd change that economy. He would say, your brothers and sisters in Christ are so valuable. Make them the context of how you live your life. A really easy example, in my opinion, is alcohol, right? It can be kind of a controversial topic, specifically with Christians. Is it okay? Is it not okay? Um, you know, it, it could be really hurtful to some people. It can be edifying in another situation where, it, for instance, when Jesus would drink wine in specific instances. So personally, I don't have a problem with having an alcoholic beverage. That's not a sin that wouldn't be walking in sin. But let's say if I'm in a room with someone who struggles with alcoholism, or if it would be distracting to them or hurtful to them, then all of a sudden that entire context changes of, hey, to not be a distraction, to not make my brother stumble, to honor them, to elevate them more, I'm going to withhold drinking alcohol so that way I'm not hurting anyone or, or that way I'm not pulling anybody else into temptation that they might not be able to handle. So that's what verse 1 is talking about. It's a callback to chapter 14. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. And that last line would lead us right into uh, verses 2 and 3. We, we must not just please ourselves. 
We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. And when I say that, we should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. It almost feels counterintuitive to my natural feelings at times. And it's something that, that you can't really learn it. We're built with this brokenness that we want to prioritize and build up ourselves. It's a natural extension of what it's like to be a person. Uh, for instance, my, my two oldest daughters, Sayla and Darby, they argue like, well, they don't really argue because they both can't talk that well yet, but they fight like cats and dogs over toys. So for instance, Sayla, our, my middle daughter, she'll be playing with a toy and Darby will see her having fun and she'll go and knock her over and take her toy. And then Sayla will scream and she'll go hit her. And it turns into this huge event. And what's crazy to me is they, it's not learned behavior. They've never seen me walk up to their mom and knock her over and take her sandwich or whatever she's, the remote control. That's not how we do things in our house. That's how you do things in your house, get it together, right? That's not how we do things. It's not like we modeled that behavior to my kids. There's something naturally inside of them that's broken and they want the cool thing. They want to do the fun thing for themselves. They see someone else experiencing joy and their default response isn't to celebrate or build them up. It's to take it from them because they want that very experience. That's the nature of being a human. So for verse two, we should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Feels counterintuitive because it stands in opposition to our human nature. And Paul is encouraging us to do this not because, not because we're so righteous and holy, it's because it's natural to us, but because that is the example that Jesus would set. And that's actually what we go on to see in verse 3. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. If anybody exemplified this in the best way possible, it would be Jesus Christ. He literally, God came down as his own creation as Jesus. To be man, which is the mo would be the most humbling thing that you could possibly do, to be like your own creation. And he didn't come to be a king. He didn't come to, be, uh, to have a comfortable life. He was born in a manger with smelly animals all around him. He was a refugee running from political oppressors who would seek to kill him. He, would, he, he wouldn't ride on a huge horse. He would ride on a donkey. He wouldn't ha uh, uh, command people to wash his feet. He, was, he would wash feet. He wouldn't want to sit with all the political controllers. He'd want to sit with broken people, with tax collectors and lepers. That's who Jesus was. He didn't come for comfort. He didn't come to be served. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. Even his act of death, there could be no greater representation of somebody who is sacrificing and living to build somebody else up than Jesus with his death and resurrection. So to continue in verse 3, there's a second half of it. For even Christ didn't live to please himself, as the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. The insults of those who insult you, following on me. Jesus would live this truth so progressively and so radically that he would be condemned and ultimately crucified for it. And as Christians, when we follow the behaviors and actions of Jesus, we can expect the same thing. Now, there's two sides of this. There's, there's religious persecution where you see people who think little of Christians. It could be for a moral belief or a moral ethic, or it could be legitimate physical persecution like in a, in a developing country or, or a communist country that, that doesn't allow Christianity. But you see different versions of this. It could be small microaggressions. It could be huge. But the reality is when you live a life of service to Jesus, you're gonna, we're going to walk into the same exact mockery, condemnation, brokenness that surrounded the life of Jesus. Because that's what it's like when we're close to him. And Paul would say that. He would quote the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Verse 4, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. To be fulfilled. So almost every time that I, that I do a Bible study, I'm not, you know, I'm not quite sure how everyone else does it, but I always like to open with prayer, and I usually work gratitude into that prayer. I did for this Bible study. It was intentional. I always like to be, to, to, to be thankful with God and to express that gratitude and thankfulness when it comes to the fact that He's been so kind to give us His Word. So Paul highlights that same exact thing. It's a good way to remind us that it's a privilege to read these words. It's a privilege to apply the knowledge that we have in the Bible in our life. 
Such things were written in scriptures long ago to teach us. The scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. And that last part's important too. It's as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. One day, this won't matter. One day, Bible study won't matter the way that it does right now. Scripture won't matter because we will be in the presence of God himself. But in the meantime, while I can't stand face to face and grab the, the robes of God and look at him and, and, and give him a hug, while I can't do that in the here and now, what I do have is his words. And for that reason, I want to approach it with thankfulness and gratitude. Let's go, jump to verse 5. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. So this goes back up to the earlier verses in, in, in Romans chapter 15 where he talks about building each other up. May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about it. We're really bad at this. I'm really bad at this. I oftentimes am I let, let arbitrary differences, whether it be about politics or philosophy or money or parenting. Oftentimes me and my wife will argue about different parenting strategies while let these little marginal things get in the way of the full depth of relational health I should have in my life. But it's God who gives us patience and encouragement. He needs to help us, or it's his desire for us to live in complete harmony with each other. And it's because that's the way that Jesus operated. It's because that's the way that Jesus, as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. The last time I taught a Bible study, I talked about the fact that as Christians, the name is derivative of being called little Christians. It was an insult. But now it's become a banner of, 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 of holiness in, in that, we're, that we're trying to achieve to be holy like Christ. And the reason that we're supposed to build each other up, the reason that we're supposed to live in harmony with each other, is because that's what Jesus did. Even when Jesus was preaching difficult truth, even when Jesus was exposing sin, the reason behind it wasn't division, it was harmony. That's what we're called to do as Christians. And in the time where, I'll be honest, social media can be one of the most toxic places in the whole world. Honestly, if it weren't for my job, I wouldn't have social media anymore. It's, it's one of those things where it just, it gives people this ability to be so rude and so hateful and I can find myself getting so frustrated at someone's opinion because I'm not in the same room with them and all of a sudden I find myself out of harmony with other believers and that's devastating. We have a responsibility as Christians to live with each other in harmony and, and, and anybody who's watching this, let me tell you, if you're participating in a behavior, and I'm preaching to myself right now as well, if you're participating in a behavior that's removing you from that harmony, then you are walking in sin. There's no other way around that. If I'm doing something and it's making me have disharmony or disunity with the fellow Christians around me. Now, that being said, there's nuance and understanding that, yes, we can still disagree. I can still tell you that I think you're wrong and I can still have, have a debate. I can still have a conversation and we can still engage that. But if it's ruining the harmony that we should be having together and because we should be unified in Christ, because the reality is that Christ is our Savior is greater than everything you've ever argued about. More important than your arguments about money is our identity as Christians. More important than your identity as a Republican or a Democrat, as an Independent, as a Libertarian, whatever you want to call yourself. More important than that is your identity in Christ and the fact that that's the flag that we should ultimately be waving. So when Paul says, such, uh, may God who gives us this patience and encouragement help us live in complete harmony with each other as it's fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. And then verse 6 is the benefit. So it's not punitive. It sounds, well, that, well, that just sounds like that's what God wants and that's just the way it's going to be. But Paul was also really generous by giving us verse 6 by saying, and let me tell you exactly why. Here's why you should do that. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is powerful. So I'm really lucky in the sense that I'm a worship leader. So most Sundays I get to find myself up on this very stage, standing in a, just a couple feet to the right of where I am right now. 
and I get to sing songs and I get to lead people in worship and I get to, to write songs that will hopefully edify our church and I get to see all of your faces and the, way that, and the way that God is working in your lives and in your hearts in the moment. And I get to be an active participant of that. I get to see unity every Sunday. Every Sunday I get to see people from dramatically different walks of life, poor, rich, black, white, brown, whatever you are. I get to see people come in this room under the flag and the banner of Jesus Christ. So they, they might not have anything else in common. I get to see all your faces sing and give glory to God. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. And you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is that a really important part of this passage, that's the reason why we exist. Constant, constantly throughout human history, people have debated and they've argued. They've tried to process and understand why humans exist. Christians have, a, have their understanding that it's because God made us and everyone's got, you know, uh, atheists might have another thing. It might be the Big Bang and different religious systems have different thoughts. And that's all great and fine. But let me tell you what I know surely. The only reason you exist is to give glory to God. That's why we were, that's why we were, why we were, why God invented us. Why God would create us from dirt and breathe his own life into us. It's not because he was bored and wanted a side project. It's because he wanted vessels for his glory. And that is who we are and that's our responsibility. That's why verse 6 is so important. And you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, doing it together with unity. Giving that glory to God is the very reason that we exist. And lastly, chapter, or verse 7. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. That feels like the nail in the coffin of the point that Paul is making, right? If there was any question, if there was any question in your mind of what Paul was saying, or you might be thinking, yeah, but what about these kind of people? Do I want to be in unity with them? What about, you know, I know they might be Christians, but what if I don't really see eye to eye with these kind of people over here? Um, you know, what if, what if loving that person gets in the way of me building up myself? What if I understand what you're saying, I understand, but I feel like there's some wiggle room there. I think verse 7 really just ends it. It says, therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, that God will be given the glory. How arrogant is it for us as human beings to not accept those who would also call Jesus Christ because of a difference when the fact is Jesus gave us that very same acceptance and there's nothing that we could have possibly done to earn it. It'd be different if Christianity was like a merit-based system, right? Where it's like, okay... You have to go to Bible college this long. You have to memorize the Old Testament. And guess what? Memorize the New Testament. If it was very like, you know, if it was very um, goal-driven in that sense. And to be fair, those are fine goals if you want to go to Bible college and memorize the Bible. That's awesome. Do that, please. It's so good. But that's not the point. And that shouldn't, we shouldn't add arbitrary levels of how we accept people. We shouldn't say, yeah, well, I'll accept you, but you have to agree with me on these five topics. The fact is, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. So here's the, here's the thought that comes to mind. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. It's, it's our natural inclination and our natural feeling in life to accept people who deserve it. And then the moment people hurt us to cut them out of our life. But when Paul says the exact way that Christ has accepted you, here's what he's saying. Doesn't matter how many times they mess up. Doesn't matter how many times they act in brokenness or in sin. Doesn't matter how many times they gossip. Doesn't matter how many times they, they fill in the blank with whatever sin that you are personally thinking about. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter how many times. It's our responsibility with every single person who would call themselves Christians to stand with them in unity. That being said, things are complicated in this life. There are certain sins that you participate in that you might go to jail for that are illegal, that are unwise for you to maintain relationship with people. But that doesn't mean that you can't still stand under the, ba the banner, under the umbrella of Christianity and say we're in this together. And I think that's the, the big call that Paul would have in that moment. It's the same reason in chapter 14 why he would say to not make your brother stumble. Because we have responsibility to each other. 
And we only have responsibility to each other because we have responsibility to Christ. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would convict us, that you would burden our hearts for this truth, God, that we should love each other well, that we shouldn't make each other stumble, God, that we should invest time and energy into each other, that we should be unified with one voice in spite of marginal differences in life and philosophy that we might have. Because the major thing, the most important thing is that we have you. We're so blessed to have you as our Lord and our Savior. We're blessed that the one thing that unifies us in spite of the fact that we might think and look and act differently is that we are vessels for your glory. That's why you invented us. And to further glorify your name, we want to be challenged to do that in unity. In your name we pray. Amen.